Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snack Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. Hey guys, welcome back to another edition of the Core 4 Podcast. We're a podcast under GBB's Podcast Network alongside GBB Live, 3ND, and Starting 5. Grizzly Bear Blues is a blog under SBN Nation. You can follow us on Twitter uh, at SBN Grizzlies, and you can find us on the web at grizzlybearblues.com. I'm your host, Nathan Chester, and I'm joined by my stunning co-host, who is wearing a fine Grizzlies official NBA sweatshirt right now, Bryce Hayes. What's going on, Bryce? What's good, man? You know, it's a wonderful time in the world right now. We got basketball on the verge of wrapping up NBA finals, the Olympics potentially about to start if this Delta variant can hold off, baseball's in full swing, the, the best sport in, in the world, NFL football, college football almost back. I'm in a great mood. How are you? I, I'm doing good, man. You're making the world look as positive as you normally do, and I greatly appreciate that. I'm also feeling very positive for both of us right now because this is our second show together. We took a break for a couple weeks because I was out of town and you were doing your stuff as well. Um, but in that time, you and I both became verified on Twitter. We're, we're, we're making the yeah. best time right about now, I would say. Um, uh, but I got to say, Twitter right now is just not doing it for me because – I think Twitter just gives too much credence to weirdos. And that may seem a little bit weird after I just praised it for giving us blue check marks. But um, the, the discourse surrounding NBA basketball right now is poisonous, to say the least. Um, I, I don't understand how normal functioning human beings have some of the thoughts that they are. We're talking about who's really hoopers. Like Giannis is putting up uh, 34, 10, and 6 in this playoff series, but he's not really a hooper because he doesn't have the bag that someone like Devin Booker has. It's stupid. I'm so tired of seeing stuff like that. Well, I'll, I'm not going to defend it, but at the same time, there's a distinction. Like this, this isn't a new conversation. It's just – for whatever reason, they've taken it off the deep end. Because if you ask any NBA coach or college coach, they'll tell you there's a difference between a basketball player and a quote-unquote hooper. But what they're doing to try to make themselves feel better about being wrong about what Giannis is, 
is it the right way to go about it? Because it's just making the discourse about basketball murky in a way it doesn't have to be. Because I've said it before, a lot of basketball, a lot of these people in NBA Twitter, granted, a lot of these kids, a lot of these people are kids at the end of the day. Because all these people behind these accounts with player avatars are mostly kids. A lot of basketball people don't like basketball. They they like the drama that comes with it. And there becomes a point where we forget to enjoy the current product because we're so busy either crapping on players or trying to lift up certain players to make the older generation look bad. It just becomes a weird thing that I don't know why basketball feels the need to have it because it's the best basketball that's ever being played, being played currently. And instead of appreciating it, we're so busy trying to compare and belittle instead of just enjoying the product. Yeah, and I, I think there is something to be said about the difference in stylistic approaches and aesthetic approaches that different superstars take. Like, at the end of the day, would I rather watch Steph Curry or Giannis Antetokounmpo play basketball? I'd rather watch Steph play. It's more exciting. It's a more aesthetically pleasing brand of basketball. But as far and we as we talked about this last time, too. Yeah, yeah. When you asked about the finals thing, I was like, yeah, I'd rather watch Trey Young and the Hawks than watch Giannis. But that, and it wasn't a disrespect thing. It was just, I'd rather watch Trey Young play basketball. It's not a bad thing. Like, I've enjoyed the finals regardless. Yeah. yeah. But as far as like overall impact is concerned, now, granted, like in past years, you could look at Giannis and say, okay, his lack of a quote unquote bag or like a proper mid-range game, ability to shoot off the dribble, that has hampered him, that has impeded him in the past. It was a big reason why Toronto was able to get past them in 2019. But at the end of the day, if he's going to go out there and average 34, 10, and 6 while putting up a 35.0 PER rating, which I don't think has ever been done in the NBA Finals before, um, if he's going to go and do that, then I don't care how he does it. I really don't from an impactful like it can be your opinion to say that's not my preferred style of basketball. Right. Um, but at the end of the day, like Chris Middleton has given you the more bag oriented stuff that you're looking for. He ripped Phoenix's heart out in game five with his shot making at the end of the games. He did that to the Atlanta Hawks and granted it hadn't always been super consistent throughout the playoffs, but you're getting the best of both worlds. Um, you're seeing crazy shot making from Devin Booker. You even got DeAndre Ayton representing granted a more modern version of traditional big man play. You're getting that. Um, you're getting Chris Middleton for your Kobe Bryant-esque urges that you enjoy watching. But you get a little bit of everything in this final series, and that's why I'm with you that, like, as far as an overall presentation, an overall series, this is about as good as, as good as it gets for a basketball sense. And I'm going to go back to what you said about Giannis and Middleton because this was also another discussion that's kind of dominated the finals when it really didn't have to be, the whole Batman and Robin thing with Perk. Shout out to Perk, by the way, because he's rocking with us at Elite. But – what he was really trying to get at wasn't as deep as people have tried to make this because at the end of the day, Giannis dominates. We can't, you can't deny that. It may not be always aesthetically pleasing. Oh, he may not be able to shoot threes. We know that. We knew that before this series started. This wasn't new information presented to us. At the same time, when stuff gets serious, the last five minutes of the game, we know where the ball's going. It's going to Chris Middleton. That's, that's literally all it is. Just like when stuff is in a crisis, what do you do? You put the Batman signal up. That's literally all it is. 
Now he's tried to re-rocket his Superman and Batman. And, you know, I tried to bring that up on Twitter too, but it's not as serious as people want to make it. And I just don't understand how that became a series long discussion when in all honesty, it wasn't the dig that people are trying to make it come out to be, even though I can see why people take it that way. And, and, you know, I still don't even know how accurate the statement is. And I think from the sense in which he's approaching it, like you want the ball in Middleton's hands when the game slows down and a half-court possessions because you'd rather have him create one-on-one. I get that. But Giannis has made just as many, if not more, impactful plays to win the games at the end of games as Middleton has in this playoff series. And is he doing it most of the time while taking DeAndre Ayton one-on-one to the basket? No, but he has one of the best blocks in NBA history, right up there, Ron's block on Iguodala from all the way back um, in 2016. He does that to Ayton on an alley-oop. Maybe four or five NBA players to ever play could make that play probably. And LeBron, pick whatever block that you want, but I don't think LeBron could have made that play. Giannis did. Like, even at his peak athleticism, I don't think. That was a good football play by Giannis just to make make that crossover. That was a great defensive back. And then the alley-oop play, like, it's kind of like in that same stratosphere that I don't know how many people to ever live could make that play. It's not many. He even tried to finish that play under the circumstances of about 12 seconds left in the play. So he is still – it's not like he's off to the side doing that. If you want to call him Robin, you know, Robin plays an impactful role in a lot of stories and stuff like that. Exactly. He's not standing there just doing nothing or anything. So I think that's important to note when you kind of throw out, maybe it's more of a Batman versus Superman comparison rather than a Batman and Robin. I think you made that point. It's, yeah, it's, it's and point. even then, like, Perk has discussed it on the jump and I've discussed it on Twitter when I brought it up. Even then, it's still flawed, but the general point comes out where sure. when, when stuff gets crucial, Chris generally finishes off. But when you look back on this series, even three weeks you're still going to remember Giannis dominated. Giannis had that block on Aiden. And Giannis had an alley-oop that he really had no business finishing on Chris Paul, even though Chris Paul tried to push him into the stands. Yeah, That's what, that's what you're going to remember. Mm-hmm. And that's fine. Now, granted, some people might remember game, game five with Chris Middleton scoring, what, 10 points in two minutes to pretty much put the game away? Yeah. That was, he did his job. He made the tough shots that, that Milwaukee needed, and that's his job. Has he been consistent in this series? No. He plays better when they're out. We knew that from the get-go. And he's probably going to play well tonight and put this series away. But this, the way this series has been talked about hasn't, in my opinion, given it the claim that it should have received. Because it's been good basketball. It's been, and we've been, yeah. we've been so caught up in narratives that we're forgetting to enjoy the basketball. Yeah, yeah, and that's something I had to catch myself with because the basketball is phenomenal to watch. Every one of these games has been extremely enjoyable with maybe the exception of game one to watch. But here's the – we go back to the narrative argument for a minute that Twitter and ESPN love so much. Here's the kind of unpopular thought in my head that I can never really escape from. And I'm watching Milwaukee and Phoenix. You look at who's on their roster and you take a look around the rest of the league – And I see a great deal of urgency for both of these teams because I'm not sure – I'm talking about over the next two or three years, 
how likely it is that either of these teams get back to this point. And I think I think Milwaukee has a better chance than Phoenix does because Giannis is a rising all-time great. He's he could like have a legitimate case to be the best player in the league. I'd probably give that to Kevin Durant at the moment, but he's right there, first, second, third, somewhere right there. Uh, LeBron is kind of at a place where he's got to show that he can be healthy and still return to the form that he was at. Um, but Milwaukee has a caliber player. Middleton is great. Drew Holiday is impactful. Um, they have a path back. But even with that in mind, if Brooklyn comes back fully healthy, there's a chance Brooklyn goes 16-1 and on route to a title next year right. if they stay fully healthy. So that's something that kind of like weighs on your mind. And when you're looking at it through the context of this year, you're thinking, you know, all Milwaukee can do is beat who's in front of them. But, right. would, but would this Milwaukee team – have beaten Brooklyn with even two of their three stars? Probably not. That's just the reality of it. And you look at Phoenix, and Phoenix is a great team, and Phoenix can still pull this out and win the title. Uh, by the time that this gets posted, we may have a new NBA champion, and that may, yeah. not, that may not be a true statement anymore. We'll see. Um, but Phoenix is great, but do they beat a healthy Lakers team? Or, okay, Every team deals with injury, so let me reorient it properly. If they beat a Lakers team that's as healthy as they were, do they beat a Nuggets team that was as healthy as they were? These are the, t the questions that run around in my head, and so I think this basketball is beautiful. I love watching it, and a ring is a ring at the end of the day, and I'm not trying to take right. it away from anything, but – it makes me wonder, like, we're all talking about, oh, parody has returned to the NBA. My instincts are telling me this is more of a one-year thing than an ongoing thing going forward. I'm not going to say it's a one-year thing. I know that's been a popular conversation to build up the hype around this because at the end of the day, the game's got to be played. Like, on paper, yes, this is probably a one-time thing. But at the end of the day, like, this year happened. Games have to be played. Injuries are going to happen. Trades are going to happen. We never know how this stuff is going to pan out. Do we have a pretty much consensus opinion what's going to happen before the season starts and as it goes on? Yeah, because we, for the most part, we thought it would be L.A. and Brooklyn unless something went Ari and something went Ari, so we got a different finals. But I don't know, man. The hypotheticals are cool and all, but you know where I'm at. Enjoy the moment. We're getting good basketball. We're getting good sports. We only got so many of these, and we're getting all-time greats on the – on a big platform. So we need to prop these guys up instead of trying to belittle them like some of these bigger platforms do. Yeah. And I think, and this will tie in, I think the final thing that we'll talk to in relation to the finals and that's how it's going to end. And it kind of goes back to where I wonder how sustainable this is for Phoenix going forward, because um, they, they've reached a point roster wise where Booker and Aiton click together and they have enough good role players from top to bottom where they're going to be a good to great team going forward, no matter what happens with him. But you have to think that this is kind of it as far as opportunities go for Chris Paul. Um, I, I could be wrong on that, but um, I'm not even talking about his age necessarily. His age is a factor in it. But how many playoff series have been derailed for him because of injury? And here at 36, he kind of gets a free run health-wise outside of a relatively minor shoulder issue that he dealt with back in the first round. And if they come up short, which it lo it's looking like right now that they will, 
you got to think, at least for this iteration of the Phoenix Suns, that they'll have to retool or something to get back to this point. We'll see, because I'm, sure, I'm pretty sure they said he's opting out of his player option, but, he, I mean, who knows. But my thing is, I don't know how much Chris Paul at almost 37 is going to net on the open market. He'll get, a, he'll get money because of brand name and everything, but this might be it, and I don't really know if Phoenix – tries to break the bank on a 30, almost 37-year-old Chris Paul to try and keep the current iteration of this team together. Yeah, that'll be interesting to see. Um, I think they will if they somehow find a way to take game six in Milwaukee tonight. We're recording this about less than five hours before game six here tonight. If they end up winning it all, I think they'll do whatever they can to run right. it back. And that may or may not be enough going forward into the next year. But ultimately, how this plays out will have a very deciding factor on that. So, Bryce, like last question related to the finals. How do you think this is going to end? Do you think it ends in Milwaukee tonight? Scott, Scott Foster is there in Milwaukee for one reason and one reason only. <laughs> put, end, put, the, put an end to this. Put an uh, end to this. They got to send Devin Booker, Chris Middleton, and Drew Holiday to Tokyo. We got a gold medal to win. So, is it's, that time to, it's time to wrap this up. Is that the conspiracy? Silver wants this over with so they can go ahead and, like, get those guys out to Tokyo. <laughs> that, that's where I'm at with it. It's, let's, wrap, <laughs> let's, let's wrap this up. We, we, we got Milwaukee winning the first championship in forever on their home floor. Send these guys to Tokyo. We barely got a team as it is because COVID's running rampant on it. Send these guys over and let's win this gold medal. And let's not embarrass ourselves on an international stage. I, I think that they – I still kind of hold to the opinion, you know, they can like shoot the bull for as long as they want in exhibitions, make themselves look foolish. And when it comes time for Kevin Durant and company to put their foot down, they will. That's just kind of like my general opinion. Yeah. And I'm not too worried about they, it. They ramped up in the last two games. That that eased some worry yeah, for some yeah. people. But Draymond Green was getting his butt kicked by 41-year-old 41, 41 geriatric Pau Gasol. And at this point, like, I don't even know how good of an NBA player Draymond Green is anymore. He, I think uh, he had a running hook in the lane that you it, like, hurt my ears that he, like, hear it, like, hit the backboard as hard as it did. And it just makes me wonder how a guy's offensive skill set regresses as hard. At his age, like, he's not that old and regresses no. as hard as it did uh, – over a three or four year time span from 2016, the way that it has for him. But the Olympic team will be interesting once this whole thing settles itself and it's over. I always kind of enjoy the interpersonal side. Like you kind of got this in 2016 too of Kyrie and Clay Thompson. Uh, how do you just go play together when you were just locked in like a blood war for seven games to win your first NBA championship? Like is Chris Middleton going to be like, nudging Devin Booker on the shoulder and be like, hey, how was last week, man? How about last yeah, week? Yeah, that was my that was my thing. I think it was late last week. I was like, how are we expecting these guys to immediately go from the ultimate high or the ultimate low of winning or losing an NBA Finals right to the Olympics with no type of rest, no type of decompression period? It's straight into another competition of very high importance on an international stage in a place with a lot of drama going on between all these other issues with the Olympics and COVID running rampant in the Olympic Village. Like, that's a lot of mental stress to sure. go through. 
and you're probably already jet lagged on top of that because that's a that's a long flight no matter where they're coming from whether it's phoenix or milwaukee that's a long flight to ponder on stuff no no matter how the finals ends it will be very emotionally taxing for all the players involved i'm sure but um as far as what the finals is going to end up being game six you mentioned scott foster uh, fun fact, Chris Paul is 0-12 in his last 12 playoff games of the ref by Scott Foster. Um, I think this one ends tonight in Milwaukee. I think – It's over. Uh, um, I believe NBA teams all-time who were down 2-0 and won three straight games in the NBA Finals to go up 3-2, and they're 11-0 in the Finals under these circumstances. So there's no now, – now, granted, um, I think – the fact that the finals used to be 2-3-2 two, two kind of inflates that record because if yeah. you're up 3-2, um, you probably, like, you may have some home games to close the series, and that probably makes it extremely difficult to lose two in a row at home. So I think yeah. it played it somewhat. But, yeah, I think this ends in six in Milwaukee tonight. I think Milwaukee has proven themselves to be the better team. And I think there's just a mental edge when you've lost three in a row to someone where it's starting to set in and you think maybe they're just better than us. Maybe they figured this out. Uh, and granted, the last two games have been one possession games. Phoenix has been right there, but you got to know that's weighing on them. So I'll go ahead and pick on Milwaukee to just go ahead and close this out and get those guys out to Tokyo. It's over, man. It's over. Yeah. Giannis has a finals MVP coming to his mantle, and I'm happy for him. Yep. Uh, we'll see how that, like, goes throughout the rest of his career. You know, uh, Jordan got his first title at 27. Hey, no, 26, I think. And LeBron got his first title at 28. I think I'm right on that. Maybe maybe Jordan was 27 and LeBron was 28. It's all right in that general area. Yeah, right in that range. And so Giannis is 27 right now. So he will be like right right on track of where they were and, you know, how the rest of his career pans out from a narrative standpoint, we'll see. But it's interesting to see him getting compared to the highest of all-time greats in that way. But kind of like moving on from the finals here, let's talk about we are a show that focuses mainly on the Grizzlies and stuff like that. So let's talk about the draft. Um, the Grizzlies right now are slated to pick at 17 in nine days. Who are some prospects that are at the top of your big board as far as realistic prospects for the Grizzlies? Well, I told you last time that, you know, big the big board thing isn't necessarily my thing. But I know for a fact that if Book Knight slides past a certain number, Clement's making a call. And Josh Christopher is definitely one of those guys that's on the radar where I don't think that the 17 pick is happening necessarily, but – after somewhere in the 20s, if he, if he slides past there, the climate's making a call, and we'll kind of like we did for Bain and Tillman last year. So those two guys are my guys. Like, I know, like, Forte and there's a couple others that can play. I think they can slide right in and fill it, fit in with what we're doing here in Memphis. But those two are the two that I got my eye on as far as the Grizzlies making some moves and trying to get some stuff done draft night. Yeah, Duarte, he's 24 years old, which is probably makes him the oldest player in the draft off the top of my head. I would assume there's no one older than I think that. He'd only, I think he'd only be the second Grizzly that's actually older than me. Like, everybody else <laughs> is either everybody else is either my age or younger. He would be older than John Jaron. Um, 
I think Brandon Clark has a slight edge on him age-wise, which Clark's concern was age coming into the draft, and Clark will be going into his third year. So that yeah. is a little bit weird to think about. Um, I, I think, you know, I am the biggest, and this is, I've made this a part of my brand. Uh, I'm very much go get a good basketball player. Like, don't worry so much about upside, age, and those things. Yeah. That being said – 24 years old is when you start to really push it with me because it's kind of like at this stage for what the Grizzlies are building, I do think they need to prioritize upside over NBA readiness because the chances are whoever they pick at 17 or whether they move up or move down is not going to play a pivotal role on next year's team. Probably not. And so I think you want to factor upside in. And Chris Duarte, I think, is someone who could come in and be immediately impactful and also know that that's, he's a finished product for the yeah. most part, like that, that what you see from day one is going to be pretty close to what you get throughout the rest of his NBA career. And I'm just not sure if that's the type of guy that the Grizzlies necessarily want to target. And then you got the opposite end of the spectrum of guys who were kind of raw, underachieved in college, like Zaire Williams, who's been connected to the Grizzlies. I tweeted this a couple hours ago. I do not understand why Zaire Williams is appearing in the top 20 on some NBA draft boards while B.J. Boston has, like, slipped out of the top. Like, B.J. Boston has had one of the steepest one-year falls that I've ever seen a prospect. Yeah, he's, he's pretty much a second-round pick right now. Yeah, like, he's outside the top 40 in a lot of mocks. And I'm thinking they're both kind of tall, athletic wings who kind of underachieved as freshmen, didn't shoot the ball well very similar production and I don't understand why everybody is all the way out on Boston while Zaire Williams has been like tagged with the Grizzlies at 17 so that the way narratives kind of build around these guys prospects even at 19 or 20 years old is something that kind of rubs me the wrong way a little bit and I'm not saying the Grizzlies need to be considering BJ Boston because I don't think they should but it's weird to me how these different narratives play out. That was my thing with when I wrote about Trey Mann, it was like, you had him projected to be a top 15-ish pick. Then he measured an inch shorter than what he was he was measured at in Florida. So now all of a sudden, his stock's falling. For what? The tape shows what it shows. It puts the ball in the bucket. Who cares if he's 6'4 and two quarters of an inch instead of 6'5? It's not that big of a difference. Mm-hmm. Look, the, the kid can play basketball. Who cares? But, you know, tools matter. Measurables do matter to an extent. But the height thing, if you've been producing at that height the whole time, who cares? Yeah. And we talk about guys who fall for reasons that are dumb, like their wing, their wingspan or their height, like Trey Mann and then Desmond Bain and Brandon Clark fall into that category as well. And then there are just guys who just fall for no discernible reason whatsoever. And one of those guys happens to be the person at the top of my, along with several others, draft boards for the Grizzlies, and that's Moses Moody. Uh, Moses is like coming in like at the back end of the lottery or even outside the lottery in a lot of recent mocks that I've seen, he's six, he's a 19-year-old freshman who averaged 16 points a game on a great Arkansas team. Um, he's a was a good three-point shooter, shot 35% from three, good size, six, six foot six and a half of a seven-foot wingspan, um, a legitimate three-level creator who projects as a good three and D wing who can create his own shot at the next level, and for whatever reason. 
uh, when, when other guys rise, others have to fall. That's just the way it goes. Right. So, so guys like Boot Knight who are like meteorically rising up draft boards, somebody's got to fall and it appears that Moody seems to be one of those odd guys out, which is awesome for Memphis. If he is there yeah. at 17, if he's there at 13 through 15 or 16, Kleiman needs to have that Utah pick on standby ready to move to move up and get him. He, he is one of the guys that I think, like, I don't care what your opinions are on other guys, he needs to be near the top, if not at the very top. It's going to introduce a new section of a fan base, too. It's not like Fayetteville is that far away. So yeah. Arkansas fans would be in the form if they get them. Yep. And Memphis and Arkansas need to start playing in basketball again, but that's a separate subject entirely. But can I say somebody I don't want in a Grizzlies uniform? Yeah, of course. I love negativity. Tell me. Now, you know I try to stay positive, but I do have to go at my old coach here for a second. Keep Luca Garza out of my city. I respect everything he did at Iowa. Like, it was cool. Let him go just like Kis not Kisper, but whatever the guy was from Loyola, Chicago. They can go play ball together overseas. You're not, you're not slandering Cameron Crutwig, are are you? Yes, and they can do they can do whatever they want over in Europe. Send you, don't like, you, don't like, you don't like big fat white guys, do you? No, I I play for plenty. I play for plenty of them, but no. Send Luca Garza to Uzbekistan and let him do whatever he wants. Keep him I mean, out of I mean, the state of Memphis. I don't mind, like, one of the most productive college basketball players in the last 20 years. I don't mind taking him at 51. You, I, you know I, who else was productive, Nathan? Who? Jack, Jack Cooley was productive at Notre Dame. It's the same <laughs> thing. Keep him out of my city. Because I, I don't even need to hear the narrative start. Oh, he can do this. No, shut up. He's not going to do all that. If I'm wrong, oh well, y'all. Like the most hardline negative opinion I think I've ever heard you have. You you me. got the clip if I'm wrong and Luca Garza turns into something, but I'm pretty adamant on this. Look, Let look. him go play somewhere over there in Europe and cook and provide for his family. Keep him out of my city. <laughs> you you said that man can just go have a livelihood apart away from. He here. can take care of his family somewhere else, just not in Memphis. <laughs> Uh, I'm so serious look, about this. Chances are, like, the Gri Grizzlies having a pick in the 50s means absolutely nothing to me at this point. But the current depth of the roster and stuff, like, no one at 51, like, sure, it would have to be, like, some hugely unexpected trajectory and development from someone. So I'm fine with going and picking someone at 51, like Luke, Luke Garza, or go let Brandon Abraham, go let Brandon Abraham have the time of his life covering Cameron, uh, Cameron Crutwig in South Haven. Just let, let Luke Garza live in South Haven, man. Let him light it no. up. Let, let him just go do his thing. We let Jarrell Martin on the Grizzlies at you, one point, man. We let Jarrell you know, Martin, we you know let who has Snopes on the Grizzlies at one point. Who cares? Who cares? Sioux Falls has a G League team, correct? Let him go wherever, wherever, whoever team that is now, let him go play for Sioux Falls. He'll fill the stands up. But yeah, let him go play for Sioux Falls. They'll have the most packed G League gym in the league. Just not here. <laughs> well, you, your opinion has been noted on that. Now, we, the we, Iowa Energy have a team. Yeah, yeah, let I, him go I, there. I, 
I may not know exactly how your draft board looks from top to bottom, but I do know what the bottom looks like now. So keep that man out of my city. Yeah, yeah. And, and Monax can be mad. We we can we can talk about it, but no. Well, to, to, to be fair, he said he said at the end of his article he did not think the Grizzlies would draft him, and I don't think he was advocating for the Grizzlies. He he's not the only one pushing it. This is this is was not something new. This has yeah, been look, on my this has been on my mind since February and March. Is it so? Who like who is really pushing hard? Like okay, it's not a, it's, it's not a hard, hard push. It's not a hard push. It's just getting brought up. I don't even like it being brought up. Stop it. <laughs> I want no parts. But you're you're arguing with the air right now. You're arguing with ghosts. I don't think there's a single person who said if Luke Garza is on the board at 51, the Grizzlies must take him. I don't think there's anybody. I don't even want to, I don't even want to entertain. I don't even want to ju- no. Stop it. Let it let it go. <laughs> let it go. Oh, my goodness. Well, I, I think that's a, a fitting ending to our draft conversation for the Grizzlies right there. Like, I will be sitting anxiously on the edge of my seat at 51, waiting for your Twitter tirade if the Grizzlies do take Cameron Crutwig. Or... Well, Crutwig's already out the draft. He signed overseas. That's why I said let Garland Gar- let go join him. <laughs> Uh, if y'all were like seeing his facial expressions right now as he's saying this, like Bryce is legit mad. This is like as mad as I've ever seen him. Like he's. I just don't understand. Like I understand accolades and everything, but we got to be honest about this here. Okay, so that will like kind of finish us off for draft talk. So we got a couple minutes left. So I'm going to ask you a pop culture related thing. We'll kind of we do this on the core four sometimes. So we'll move off the NBA and sports. What's and good? Here for no, a second. Okay. back in a good mood. What's good? Okay, uh, let, give me your uh, Marvel television show power rankings right now. I'll go ahead and give you mine. Uh, Falcon and Winter Soldier, they're really no fault of its own, is going to be at three for me. It's, gotta, it's the one that I enjoyed the least out of the three, while still being, like, competent and doing what it needed to do to set things up on. Um, WandaVision is two. Mainly because of the finale, like WandaVision was great throughout and then kind of lost some steam at the end. And then Loki was great all the way through for me. So I got to put Loki there. Well, we, we talked about it before where, you know, my thing is three, three different types of shows with the same goal in mind of setting up phase four. So I don't really compare them. I just kind of evaluate them on their own merit. But the ratings are pretty much the same for me because, I mean, Falcon and Winter Soldier is the least "quote unquote" eventful out of the three, but if you interpret the art, it's a wonderful show. Like it teaches you about PTSD, history, all types of stuff, racism. Like it does its job. You get yeah. you get a message from it. You're supposed to get a different type of message from all three shows. So it does its job. Two is WandaVision. Like that's PTSD, legacy. Like it's all that. It's a great show. Some people didn't quite vibe with the early early episodes because they didn't like throwback stuff. I grew up in an old people house. We grew up watching those type of shows. So I loved it to each their own. Then Loki, it was what it was. It got cracking from episode one, and we were pretty much on the ride all the way through episode six. So it's good TV. I'm looking forward to What If, and I think Miss Hawkeye is coming out later this year as well. We got Sean Chi and the rest of the movies coming. We're, I, I, we're back, I'll be honest, we're back in the swing of it. 
like, well, granted, this was my attitude going into the Marvel shows. I kind of like uh, expected to kind of just check out after Endgame and they were just going to like do whatever they do. And I may check in on it every once in a while and stuff like that. So like the TV shows didn't interest me a whole lot. And then the TV shows really sucked me in. They really did a great job of that. So I'm very excited to see where it all goes. And now I feel like I'm at a similar mindset toward Hawkeye, where the ending of Loki, spoiler alert, if you haven't watched it, like really opens up the multiverse, like really expands where Marvel's going to go. Like we're going to get Toby, because Hulk didn't want to take the stairs in Endgame, we get a Toby McGuire back in a Spider-Man movie. Like that's generally the uh, progression of events right there. So you got all this crazy stuff happening. And then you're going to give me a show about, freaking hawkeye <laughs> I, I will say though like after watching black widow and the end of that that raised my anticipation for that okay i still have to, i'll probably go see black widow this week I'm still because Haw hawkeye wasn't somebody like that really any as far as i know that anyone grew up just reading hawkeye comics mm -hmm. i don't think he was that popular of a guy especially not down here in like my type of circles but now the way black widow set it up I got some interest now. Mm -hmm. Yep, for sure. Well, Bryce, I think that's all that we have time here uh, for today. Why don't you just go ahead and plug your stuff, my man? Y'all know what it is. I mean, you can follow me on Twitter at NXT Prodigy. Uh, keep, keep up with my Grizzlies content, both on my account and the GBB account. And, you know, football season's coming up. Make sure you follow Elite Media Group on Twitter. We're going to actually talk about football. It's a whole, whole lot different type of conversation compared to basketball. We're sticking straight to the sports. None of that narrative stuff that basketball gets kind of driven down into. So, yeah, man. Power of positivity on the timeline. I don't, I, don't know if you, I don't know if you can claim that after the things that you just said. I'll, that's how I keep it positive, by keeping Luca Garza out of my city. <laughs> well, you can find me on Twitter at NathanChester24. And you can find all my Grizzlies-related content on grizzlybearblues.com. You cannot cancel me anymore. I have a blue check mark. That's the way this works now. Um, uh, uh, it could probably still happen. Huh? Who am I kidding? <laughs> it can happen. Uh, uh, Bryce, um, I've not had the chance to watch Space Jam yet, so that's something that we can maybe discuss on the next show. But I think it's very fitting to uh, say the closing line in light of Space Jam being released this past week. I will say on a Space Jam note, it does the job. The the hate was overblown. It it's fine. Yeah. And to close the show, that's all folks. <laughs> <laughs>